A lot of people want this to happen, they expect it to happen, and we'll see if it happens. Very definitive, Mr. President. Well done, sir. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 91.7 KYAQ on the central coast of Oregon, 106.7 Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. In Washington, D.C. on 105.5 FM. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We are also streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com, just trying to get by. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling adventure that we call the Bradcast. Coming up very shortly, we will speak to our friend, the pseudonymous blogger. Gaius Publius of Down With Tyranny, who has a few thoughts on the fallout and accountability, or lack thereof, for the massive Equifax hack uh, that uh, took place late last week. We haven't gotten to talk too much about it, so I look forward to doing that. And for the surprisingly popular rollout of Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All bill in the U.S. Senate. Not surprising that it's it's pop. It's only surprising that it's popular in the U.S. Senate among the Democrats. Now I think about sixteen different co-sponsors on that bill. Desi Doyen. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of surprising that all of a sudden there's this all whole sudden, march towards, and they want to get out in front of that. What's I wonder why that? get out in front of it. <laughs> but yeah, that's one way to put it. Yes, get out in front of what they've been behind for so many years. Uh, exactly. In any event, it's certainly popular among Democrats who are considering a run for the presidency in 2020. So we'll talk with Gaius about that shortly. Also, Desi Doyen, you'll be back with a Green News report a little bit later on the, uh, de- frankly, desperate conditions now we're seeing in uh, in the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands following uh, Hurricane Irma and in Florida itself, uh, where things are not going well it, hey, in listen, the aftermath. You know, disasters have a very long tail, as we like to say. They do indeed. Uh, also, speaking of disasters, by the way, Hurricane Max 
has just come ashore in uh, in Mexico on, on the Pacific the, yeah, coast. The Pacific coast. The Pacific uh, hurricane or cyclone season is very active as well, but yep. it's less talked about because most of those hurricanes, cyclones out in the Pacific, uh, spin out into nowhere. Uh, but this one, I mean, Mexico... Or they hit other countries other than the so U.S. It, uh, and then who yeah, cares? Well, it might as well not have happened. The American media certainly doesn't. But yeah, this, was, uh, this is quite a few hits because Mexico had Hurricane Katia on its east coast. Now yep. it has Hurricane Max on its... Just Last week, by the way, just Hurricane Katia, if you hadn't heard, just last week. And the earthquake. Yep, a devastating earthquake. Uh, more than 90 killed there last I checked. So uh, natural disasters are befalling us everywhere. Uh, but uh, I want to hit this very quickly before we get to Gaius, if I can. Uh, this is exactly what I was talking about on air a few days ago. Um if Trump decides to make a deal with Democrats, uh, I was asking, should the Democrats take it? Should they trust it? Can Donald Trump be trusted? Uh, one such supposed deal was announced on Wednesday night, just after we got off the air. And it's one of those, uh, as as uh, Washington Post Dave Weigel likes to quip on Twitter, wow, big, if true. <laughs> And that last part is is key. So uh, what do we know about this uh, deal that was announced by the Democratic leadership on Wednesday night? It was a quite a dramatic statement right after we got off air, really, uh, on Wednesday, uh, issued after they had dinner uh, at the White House with Donald Trump. And so I want to try to walk through this sort of chronologically, if we can here, to make sense of it, because it's been sort of head snapping over the past 12 or 24 hours or so to try and make sense of what happened and what didn't happen. And I think it also serves as a reminder as to why it is never a good idea to trust this president on anything, at least when it's based on, you know, little more than his word and presumably a handshake. So the the story first seemed to break with uh, AP's uh, headline, their breaking headline, breaking Schumer and Pelosi announced deal with Trump to protect young immigrants will include border security, but no wall. So this was a big thing. It sounded like uh, Schumer and Pelosi were announcing that they had a deal with Donald Trump to, in fact, legislatively pass uh, what Donald Trump had killed last week, DACA, the Deferred action for children of uh, DACA. Deferred, deferred action, action for childhood, childhood arrivals. arrivals. Thank you. Um, that, you know, they were going to go uh, work with the, the Democrats on to finally get this thing passed legislatively in Congress. NBC reported President Donald Trump and congressional Democrats appeared to be moving closer to an agreement to extend protection for the so-called dreamers on Wednesday night. And Democratic leaders said Trump agreed not to push for a border wall as part of that deal. Dropping the demand for a border wall could make it easier for Republicans and Democrats to reach a deal on DACA, NBC said. But a key detail of an agreement first announced by Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi after a dinner with the president quickly became a matter of dispute and we've been uh, there's uh, Donald Trump has sort of been disputing with himself ever since. So here was the statement, just two paragraphs from Pelosi and Schumer. We had a very productive meeting at the White House with the president. The discussion focused on DACA. We agreed to enshrine the protections of DACA into law quickly and to work out a package of border security, excluding the wall 
that is acceptable to both sides. We also urge the president to make permanent the cost-sharing reduction payments that was uh, on the Affordable Care Act. Uh, and those discussions will continue, they said. Well, the White House readout, that sounded like very encouraging news for Democrats, uh, very encouraging news for the 800,000 or so children of uh, undocumented immigrants, so these children who were brought here through no fault of their own, sounded like good news. But then the White House readout of that same dinner came out, was given to reporters on background afterwards. It was slightly different. It was similar-ish. But without mentioning any particular deal or agreement, the White House said President Trump had a constructive working dinner with the Senate and House minority leaders, uh, as well as uh, administration officials to discuss policy and legislative priorities. These topics included tax reform, border security, DACA, infrastructure and trade. This is a positive step forward toward the president's strong commitment to bipartisan solutions for the issues most important to all Americans. The administration looks forward to continuing these conversations with leadership on both sides of the aisle. So it did not say, as the Democrats did, that they agreed to uh, to a deal. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the White House uh, uh, press spokesperson, press secretary, said uh, on Twitter, took to Twitter and said, while DACA and border security were both discussed, excluding the wall was certainly not agreed to. So she quickly jumped in to try to put out this fire, which was almost immediately driving folks on the right insane. Uh, the, the most ardent supporters in any event of Donald Trump and his anti-immigrant policies. Schumer's office then responded to that by saying that Trump had not agreed to shelve the wall entirely, but had agreed not to make it part of this DACA package. So at this point, who knows? Who knows who is telling the truth? NBC does note, uh, did note in their report that earlier in the day, the White House Legislative Affairs Director Mark Short had told an industry trade group that the border wall does not have to be a part of an agreement on DACA. And Short had made that same suggestion a little bit earlier in the week. We talked about it in this show. So it sounds like Trump was more than willing to move forward with a DACA deal that did not include the wall. Then the press secretary came out and and said something else. Uh, Then Trump came out and says, I mean, so this thing has just been insane to figure out, to figure out who's telling the truth. Schumer and Pelosi's statement, according to CNN, sent shockwaves through Trump's far right base. Unbelievable, said Congressman Steve King of Iowa in a tweet. He said amnesty, amnesty, he called it. Amnesty is a pardon for immigration lawbreakers coupled with the reward of the objective of their crime. If AP is correct in their breaking news tweet, Trump base is blown up, destroyed, irreparable and delusioned, disillusioned, I should say, (laughs) Freudian slip there and disillusioned beyond repair. No promise is credible, said Steve King. Right wing talk radio host Laura Ingram tweeted that the, quote, Dems border security pledge is meaningless, the pledge that they would agree to additional border, Uh, but it was meaningless, she charged. Staunch Trump ally Sean Hannity of Fox News tweeted, weak Republicans have betrayed voters 
POTUS needs to stay the course and keep his promises or it's over. Pelosi and Schumer can never be trusted. Breitbart, uh, the uh, fake news website on the right, went on to uh, say that uh, uh, called they called uh, Donald Trump Amnesty Don. What? Yeah, that's what they're calling him now. Wow. This is all amnesty. So this morning, Trump wakes up with, as he does, another tweet storm that seemed to pretty much contradict everything all over again. He said no deal was made last night on DACA. Massive border security would have to be agreed to in exchange for consent would be subject to a vote. The wall, he said, which is already under construction in the form of new renovation of old and existing fences and walls will continue to be built. So he's he's moving the goalposts on the wall at the same time. Uh, in that tweet, more on that in a moment, he said, does anybody really want to throw out good, educated and accomplished young people who have jobs, some serving in the military? Really? They have been in our country for many years through no fault of their own, brought in by their parents at a young age. Plus, big border security. So he seemed to be agreeing that, yes, we should not throw out these uh, these DACA people. And by the way, we didn't need to throw them out at all had Donald Trump not reversed Barack Obama's uh, executive order. So this is a problem that has been created by Trump. He seems to excel at that. He's very good at that. By this morning, uh, the White House was telling reporters, according to Reuters, that, uh, yes, Donald Trump was very, very close to a deal or at least fairly close to a deal. Trump, uh, Trump said, I think we're fairly close, but we have to get massive border security. He later said that he might revisit the matter if uh, lawmakers do not when it comes to DACA that he had reversed again. He did this. He created this problem. Now he says, well, the wall will come later. The wall is going to be built. It's going to be funded a little bit later. And after failing to uh, get any uh, to notch up any major legislation since uh, taking off in January, Reuters notes that Trump has increasingly expressed frustration with his fellow Republicans who control both chambers of Congress and has shown a willingness to work with the opposition. Well, a little bit. One really easy accommodation last week that uh, worked out great, frankly, for both Trump and the Republicans to you know, give some disaster relief for Hurricane Harvey in exchange to, uh, for ex- extending the deadline before a government shutdown over the budget uh, for raising the, the, the debt ceiling. It was really kind of a no-brainer. But Republicans acted like they were upset about it. The media reported it as Trump the independent, Trump the bipartisan Well, uh, later today, amongst all of this mess, Pelosi says she now trusts Trump's sincerity on this. He said she said when we're talking about this legislation to protect the dreamers. Yes, I do trust that the president is sincere in understanding that the public supports that overwhelmingly, that the public supports not sending these young people back. Well, they do. And whether she trusts him on uh, the the deal that she suggests they struck, that, however, is another matter. And frankly, he shouldn't be trusted until they have this legislation in hand, until it's passed. It still needs to be passed by Republicans in the House. They still need to allow the legislation to move forward. Until this is a signed deal, uh, Pelosi, frankly, is nuts to trust anyone. Well, I think... 
in this case, I suspect what, what she may be doing is managing Trump's personality. Because if she comes out and makes a big deal about, oh, we can't trust him, but we're going to try. If she says, oh, we trust Mr. Trump, we believe he'll do this, then I think that that butters him up. I mean, literally, I think she's manipulating him. They're all working him. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's working. They're him. all working him. He's working the public. He's working him himself. He's working his base. You notice what he did with the wall by saying that it's already under construction in the form of new renovation of old and existing fences and walls that will continue to be built. He's now moving the, uh, the, 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 the goalposts on that. What he seems to be suggesting, as Eric Bollert notes, uh, is that the 700 miles of border fencing that already exist along the Mexico border that were part of the Secure Fence Act of 2006... Signed by George W. Bush, he seems to be saying, well, we're going to upgrade that a little bit. And and yes, that is the wall. So what a mess, just an absolute mess. Uh, nobody knows if they can trust this president. Uh, his own base is furious. But I would suggest here that uh, in truth, he's got nothing to worry about. Uh, he should go ahead with this deal with Democrats. It works out really well for him. Uh, he may lose. Look, he only has the support of about 30 or 35 percent of the American public anyway at this point. He could lose, I don't know, 10 points in a worst case scenario from that group. But he will easily more than make it up with uh, independents, with Republicans who no longer support him, but would if they saw him working in a bipartisan way here. Some Democrats are going to come aboard. I think this is a win for him. And there is evidence that uh, and, and I don't have time to get to it because I got to get to my guest here. But uh, our friend Heather Digby Parton writing over at Salon today, there is evidence that, you know what, uh, even his base is going to come along. They are so mad at the leadership in Congress. They will follow Donald Trump anywhere. And if Donald Trump says this is a good thing, they will support that. You know, Sean Hannity will throw a little bit of a fit, but even he, he threw a little bit of a fit and then he he deleted one of his tweets. So they will come along with this no matter what. It's smart for Donald Trump. Whether it is smart for Democrats politically, I don't know, but it would certainly be a good thing for those uh, 800,000 uh, people who are damn near Americans with all the rights, uh, except for voting, with all the rights and freedoms that uh, come with citizenship. They had that under Obama. It was taken away under Trump. And uh, now he would be wise to restore it. We will see if he does. All right. I got to take a quick break here. Sorry. It's too much going on. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back with Gaius Publius on X, what's it called? Equifax. Equifax. <laughs> I almost said Experian, the other company. They haven't been hacked yet, as far as we know, but we'll find out on uh, Equifax and on Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All. Oh, and Green News reports ahead. All of that. Stay with us. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs>
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. All right, welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Among the among the many stories that we are uh, trying to catch up with that has uh, been difficult to keep up with when you've got all of these raging hurricanes and a raging president and everything else is what happened late last week. Uh, At Equifax, actually, it happened sometime before late last week, but we found out about it last week. As Ars Technica reports today, this is Dan Gooden over there, he says the Equifax breach announced late last week in one hell of a Friday news dump uh, as the uh, Hurricane Irma was approaching. That breach, which exposed sensitive data for as many as 143 million U.S. consumers was accomplished by exploiting a web application vulnerability that had been patched more than two months earlier. That, according to officials with the credit reporting service, they, they write Equifax has been intensely investigating the scope of the intrusion with the assistance of a leading independent cybersecurity firm to determine what information was accessed and who has been impacted, company officials wrote in an updated uh, uh, item online. They said, we know that criminals exploited a U.S. website application vulnerability. The flaw in question was discovered and fixed by the software company itself, uh, which uh, who makes the software that Equifax was using. That was uh, discovered and fixed on March 6th. Of this year, Equifax has said the breach on its site occurred in mid-May. That would be more than two months after the flaw came to light and a patch was made available. But apparently Equifax didn't bother to use it. Thursday's disclosure strongly suggests that Equifax failed to update its web applications despite demonstrable proof that the bug gave real world attackers an easy way to take control of sensitive sites, according to Ars Technica. Sensitive sites that apparently store personal information on nearly half of American adults, whether they know it or not. I've seen many reports on this matter uh, since last week as a breach to 143 million Equifax customers. But that is wrong. We are not their customers. We are their product. And whether we like it or not, we are now paying a price Uh, for being that product. Whether there will be any accountability for that remains to be seen. Well, let's talk about it with my guest today who has been writing about all of this of late at the aptly named in the circumstances uh, Down With Tyranny website. Gaius Publius is the pen name for the longtime blogger and professional writer who contributes to a number of publications, among them Down With Tyranny, as well as Digby's Hullabaloo, Naked Capitalism, Truth Out, and Alternate. Alternate, I should say. You can find links to all of his work at GaiusPublius.tumblr.com. 
And this week he's been writing about violence and the state with a focus on last week's announced massive Equifax hack. Guys, Publius, sir, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Well, thank you for having me, Brad. I know you've been uh, uh, working on a, uh, on a piece about the big Medicare for All legislation that Senator Bernie Sanders introduced in the U.S. Senate this week. I want to uh, try to leave some time for that and get your thoughts on that as well. But first, this Equifax matter. Uh, you offer a, a few points on what folks should do about it personally and then offer a few thoughts on, on what happened here and what it all means. So let's uh, first let's start with, well, with what you are recommending, just as a public service here, what are you recommending, if anything, that we, uh, those in uh, who, who are the uh, Equifax product, should do now that one out of two of us have apparently had our Social Security numbers, our birth dates, everything that it w would be needed to uh, steal our identity now that we've had that uh, stolen from this company? Um, well, let me uh, thank you. Let me set the stage for that answer, and it's mm -hmm. an important answer. Um, Ars Technica didn't quite get it wrong, but they, they, they laid it out in a fairly confusing way. Apache is a web uh, is a service that sells software to web websites. Mm -hmm. Apache uh, discovered a problem mm -hmm. in March seventh. They they created a patch for that problem in March eight and rolled it out to their customers. Brian Krebs at Krebs Online is one of the one of the better um, uh, consumer advocated mm -hmm. uh, consumer advocate uh, online guys who who deals with security along with like Bruce Schneier, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said that it looks to him like the data could possibly that's been stolen uh, could have been as early as November of 2016 through <laughs> July of 2017. Equifax says that the data was stolen in one swoop in May of 2017. In any case, uh, they didn't discover this until July 29, and they didn't report it to the public until September 7th. In the meantime, an awful lot of company executives um, and people in the know at the higher reaches of the company, knowing that this, hap this breach occurred, uh, made a profit off their stock. The stock is now down about uh, one-third mm -hmm. uh, from, its, from its high. So um, there was a big. It was a big. It was a, 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 a several. I don't know how many yet. Uh, maybe you do. Several company executives before. I guess after they discovered the breach, but before they announced it publicly, sold were, a whole bunch of their uh, their own stock, stock options, were, and so forth. There were three. There were three executives who stole sold about two million dollars in stock, mm. uh, based upon uh, reporting by Bill Black. Um, uh, the, most uh, most of the people I think who listen to this broadcast know uh, who Bill Black is. He's a, a uh, he's a banking regulator. Mm -hmm. uh, he was involved heavily in the uh, uh, savings and loan banking unwinding in the in the 1980s. Right. Um, so what what should we do? The credit, as you correctly pointed out, and that, that's a really nice framing. Uh, we are not their customers. Mm -hmm. We have never given information to Equifax. We've never given information to Transdata. We've never given information to Experian. They are allowed to collect this agency and disseminate it to their real customers, who are people who give credit, uh, banks and Visa cards and so forth. Mm -hmm. So um, what should we do? We can go to Equifax, 
TransUnion and Experian, and should, and put a what's called a security freeze, not a credit freeze, a security freeze on our accounts. Now, attempting to do that um, has a couple of consequences. One, it's going to be a battle because everybody in the country is doing that right now. Mm. Uh, the call wait lines are huge, and I've understood uh, from reporting that I've been reading just today in preparation for this broadcast that uh, people are having a really hard time getting through. There's a lot of dropped calls and so forth. But um, I'm not the only one who says it's critically important that we do this. Again, it's a security freeze, not a credit freeze. So that doesn't think, that doesn't freeze your 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 credit. It just makes it so that if someone tries to open a credit card or something in your name, uh, when the bank goes to to check the the big three credit uh, monitoring services, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, they'll say no, don't issue a card because there has been a freeze put on this account. Almost right. Okay. They will say. No, we can't give you any data on this person, ah. which means that the issuer will have no information to work from. If it's a legitimate issuer, that means you won't get these credit card notices from Visa Bank of so-and-so or, or MasterCard Bank of so-and-so that want to flood your inbox, your, your, mm-hmm. your snail mail inbox with these things. So that will kill all of that. But it will also prevent people from issuing um, phony credit uh, and credit cards because they don't have any information to go by. They need that Equifax information to, to do this stuff. But now in order to uh, to do that, to put a freeze, to call these uh, three different services, to wait on the on-hold line uh, for that privilege, it still costs money, does it not? Don't you have to pay these companies in order to put a, uh, a security freeze on your own account? You do. These companies are, are predators. Uh, in fact, one of the consequences of putting a security freeze is that you'll you'll deny them profit because that you will refuse them the right to make money off of your data, which is a, a nice side benefit. Yeah, but it yes, will co- but it'll cost you money to do it. Uh, it will. Yeah. I think the fees are in the in the ten dollar range, perhaps as high right. as twenty five. I'm not sure. Uh, it's cheaper twice the price if you consider the consequences. By the way, it's not half of the adult U.S. population that's affected. It's uh, almost half of the whole adult population. But if you if you subtract all the under 18s, ah. it's it's about 60 percent of the all adults in the in the country who are affected. If you think of most households have two credit cards, uh, two people with credit cards or two credit cards, mm-hmm. it's almost certain that every U.S. household will be affected by this. Whether they will, they will be struck by identity theft or not, I don't know. Right. But they will be affected by it. Again, it's a security freeze. It's not a credit freeze. The second thing you should do is to not sign any agreement with Equifax at all as a condition of getting, your, um, getting information from them as to whether your account was affected or not or your data was affected. It wasn't all data. It was just some data. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have something like 220 million uh, data on 220 million people, uh, U.S. and, and nationwide, uh, right. worldwide. And I believe it's 145 million that are affected. So it's, mm-hmm. it's over half, but it's not so much over half that you have to assume it's everybody. Don't sign anything. They used to, uh, used to meaning a couple of days ago, before right. they, the, 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 the poo hit the fan for them. Right, before they got and, caught. 
before they got caught, they were saying, uh, you have to cite away your, your, your right to sue and agree to arbitration clauses. Uh, if you if you get into a, into a, a relationship with us, and and, they, and to be clear, when when you say uh, get into a relationship with us, this was the service they were providing to say, okay, come on by, give us your information. We will let you know if you were one of those records that was uh, that that had been breached, stolen. Right? right? You had to go give them your information, and sign away your rights to sue them. If you found out that, in fact, they had uh, lost your information, right? Correct. And there's a second price. The first price is your right to sue, which I think has been pulled back. I'm seeing headlines that say that's yeah. been rescinded thanks to the, the, um, thanks to the publicity. But the second thing they're doing is offering you one year's free credit protection, whatever that means, right. which will, if you don't opt out, roll into, in the second year into something you pay for. So imagine how many people opt out of something after they've uh, they've signed up. For example, you go, you go to public television, mm-hmm. you sign up for you know you you are a sustaining member every month, and you can you can cancel at any time or you cancel after a year. Are you going to really cancel after a year? Most people aren't. So right. it's money in the bank for them, and that's why I call them predatory as well. So they're making money uh, on this. They're making money if you call them and and, uh, try to do a security freeze. They're making money if they uh, if you if you uh, sign up for their one year free of credit protection, because most people or at least many people probably won't remember to cancel it or uh, maybe they shouldn't even cancel it because people who have stolen this information. It's not like you go out and get a new Social Security number and birth date tomorrow. So if they stole this information, this information is going to be good for decades, correct? Uh, it's going to be good for um, I w- I've been writing it's good for 30 years. Yep. Uh, that will be either the lifespan of most people who are affected <laughs> uh, or the lifespan of the data block before it contains so many dead individuals that nobody wants to buy it anymore. <laughs> it's, like buying a, it's like buying a list of phone numbers that you can spam people with. You've got 100,000 phone numbers, but let's say only 2% of them are, are, are live phone numbers. Mm-hmm. Nobody, you can't make money off a database that you sell like that. Uh, but for the next 30 years, this is going to be affected. This is massive. And um, the consequences, that these are small consequences we're talking about here. There's actually very large consequences to this as well. Well, let's talk about some of those large consequences, because I'm, uh, you write about this as an act of violence. And so I'm curious what that means. Uh, you also note that uh, you know if this had happened to a mom and pop shop, that they would be you know sort of put out of business. They would be bankrupt, but but not these huge companies. Well, absolutely. I mean, the mom and pop shop uh, mm-hmm. situation is is really interesting because if you're not Equifax, here's what would happen to a mom and pop shop. Here's the following that anybody would expect. I'm talking about. Um, a, a guy with, uh, say, three restaurants mm-hmm. in town, and uh, somebody uh, had, had hacked their database. First of all, a timely alert to all customers that a breach had occurred. A timely alert. Mm-hmm. Second, a list of all the data that had been compromised. Third, a timely, proactive, and free notification to customers who are affected. Again, not all customers are affected. People want to know if they're affected. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to beg for this information. It should right. be proactively offered to you. Disclosure of the vulnerability and a demonstration that the vulnerability had been addressed. 
and some form of restitution. And here's where the the the, the, the problem comes. The, the, the losses suffered by Americans are likely to be in the millions, perhaps billions. And what restitution will a company like Equifax have to suffer as a result of this? The mom-and-pop uh, store mm-hmm. risks going out of business because people will say, hey, screw you, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm out of here, I'm, I'm done being your customer, you, you've lost it for me. I'm willing to bet that the U.S. government foams the landing for Equifax so that they don't mm-hmm. suffer anything more than temporary inconvenience and a temporary drop in their stock price. And that's that's where... That's huge. Uh, yeah, and, and that's what I kind of wanted to get at here. Do you see any sign that law enforcement officials or Congress or the White House or anybody is really coming to the aid of Americans here who are caught up in this through no fault of their own uh, in any way, are they coming forward to, to somehow, you know, help, I, I keep wanting to, well, consumers, but not just not customers of Equifax, uh, but uh, that they're coming forward to help consumers or that they are willing to, uh, to, to punish Equifax. I mean, it's one thing. They, too, Equifax, in truth, is a victim here. They're a victim of theft. But then the fact that they didn't let Americans uh, know about it, they didn't let the public know about it, they didn't, uh, uh, you know, take action on it right away, signs that, you know, some of the uh, executives took advantage of it by selling off stock. I mean, is there any chance for accountability here whatsoever, Gaius? No, <laughs> to keep it simple. There's the, there's, there is starting to be the appearance of accountability or the appearance of we care. So we're getting... Um, some hearings in Congress, people like Ron Wyden. We're getting the Federal Trade Commission, who used to be a real watchdog in the pre-Reagan years uh, about things like monopoly and business practices, but they've been, they've been neutered for decades. So they're making noise like we're doing an investigation, but they want to appear to care. Uh, you will know whether they really care when you see what happens. Um, I think the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has gotten involved, but they were already kind of involved prior to this because there's a review going on in Congress of something called the Mandatory Arbitration Clause mm-hmm. or some ruling around uh, this, this whole problem of you sign up for something with a, government, with a company and the company, part of the agreement says, you have no right to sue and you have to deal with, you have to uh, address any, any uh, grievances via mandatory arbitration. The problem with mandatory arbitration is that, that the judges in the mandatory arbitration hearings mm-hmm. get their money from companies. Right. So they're not going to rule against companies because that's where their, that's where their money is. In the same way, the uh, credit reporting, not credit reporting, the um, Standard & Poor's, for example, gets mm-hmm. their money from the, agent, from the um, banks whose uh, offerings they rate, the, right. the, uh, those, those rating agencies. Right. They're not going to... They're not going to upset those companies by, by going against them. That's where, that's where the dollars come from. Gaius, oh, no, to, to yeah. answer, I don't, see, I don't see the government standing up for us at all. And the consequences of that, by the way, play into a story that involves 2018, 2020, and two tsunamis that are about to hit us bad. Oh, oh, great. You dropped that right as I'm about to change the topic to Medicare for All? Okay, how, go ahead. Okay. G- give me those uh, those headlines really quick, and we'll point folks over to your uh, website to, to read them, because I do want to have I, uh, a few moments here for Medicare for All. Well, it's the same story, which is the reason that I, that I brought it up, Brad. Um, 2018 and 2020, 
there, there, are, there are two problems facing America right now, and I know that you and many of the, your, your listeners are well aware of this. There is the fossil fuel descent into the literal Stone Age, which we are beginning to experience now. People see football games being canceled in Florida, and even, even the right-wing troglodyte um, uh, Trump voter mm-hmm. is, is getting upset that he can't watch football because of these, these storms. I mean, that's three years that football games have been canceled because of storms. <laughs> we are seeing it now. Um, I think people get it. The other thing that's going on that people aren't really seeing for what it is, partly because the Democratic Party is trying to obfuscate it, there is, all caps, a populist rebellion going on in this country. We were in a pre-revolutionary state since 2008, and Obama said after the the crash in 2007, I'm going to give you hope that things will change, and then he gave no hope and no change. And that, that turned up in uh, the electoral uh, outcome of 2014. It turned up in the electoral outcome of 2016, where a, a perfectly accomplished, non-change establishment candidate could not beat a, a, an idiot change candidate in the Republican Party. Not only that, she barely beat a perfectly competent change candidate in her own party, and it arguably took a fair amount of uh, thumb on the scales to to overturn that. Well, that rebellion is not going away. We're going to see it again in 2018 and in 2020. Not only that, for these twin tsunamis, the clock is ticking. So if we don't see on the uh, income inequality and wealth inequality side real change in this country ele- that, that has an electoral possibility of being addressed, I think that's going to go to the streets in increasing numbers, and it's going to be very, very messy the way all kinds of peasant revolts and things like that get very, very messy. Um, and on, on those lines of that uh, uh, peasant revolt uh, comes Bernie Sanders with this Medicare bill. And I want to get your thoughts on this very quickly here, uh, Gaius Publius. Uh, I, I only want to respond to your to your uh, your comments there about uh, Hillary Clinton and Democrats losing in 2016, I agree with you in general. The one caveat I would add, uh, because it plays into this Equifax deal, is that if a company like Equifax, a huge billion-dollar company like Equifax, cannot protect uh, their own computer systems from uh, breaches, uh, from the outside or from the inside, uh, but certainly from the outside, uh, the idea that we count on, you know, our local county clerk, our local county registrar to protect our votes in an election. I, I'm just throwing this in because, you know, when people talk about, oh, Hillary Clinton couldn't even beat Donald Trump in 2016. Well, that may or may not be true. The Department of Homeland Security has since admitted that they have never checked the voting machines. They have never counted any of the ballots. So we are just presuming we're going on the presumption here that Trump actually beat Hillary Clinton and uh, a lot of folks are trying to come up with a reason, and wh- and and maybe he did. But one of the reasons that they uh, come up with, obviously, is that he was the populist candidate here, and that Bernie Sanders, with his populist ideas, uh, might have done better against him. And to that end, one of those populist ideas, obviously, is uh, single payer Medicare for all, as Bernie Sanders is now calling it. He's introduced this bill. 
this health care bill. Uh, he's been introducing it actually since 2013. Uh, at that point, not a single senator came on board. But this week, uh, he introduced Medicare for All, and it had, I think, 16 Democratic co-sponsors in the U.S. Senate, including a lot of the folks who are considered, uh, uh, you know, big possibilities to be on the uh uh, the Democratic ticket in 2020. Cory Booker in New Jersey, Al Franken, Wisconsin, Kamala Harris in California, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand in New York, on and on it goes. About 16 U.S. senators are on board uh, with single-payer Medicare for All, and in the U.S. House we now have a, uh, a majority of the Democratic caucus has signed on to John Conyers' single-payer bill that he's been introducing for about 25 years. So uh, what's going on here now that we have only a minute or two? What's going on here uh, very quickly, guys? <laughs> okay, so what's going on is the Democratic Party has been trying to reinvent itself ever since it, it, it lost the 2016 election. I accept your caveat, by the way with the idea uh, about uh, uh, election fraud, with the idea that that same election fraud has been occurring since 2002 and may have occurred in the Democratic primary as well. But that said, um, what the Democratic Party is trying to make itself, the mainstream Democratic Party is trying to make itself the resistance alternative to Donald Trump. And it's, it's got an uphill fight. You'll notice in the House, for example, that not one member of House leadership has signed on to Conyers' bill. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many members of Senate leadership have signed on to Conyers' bill. I don't see Patty Murray. I don't see Chuck Schumer, for example. I don't see Mark Warner, all of the centrists, all of the, the corporate Democrats. So the, the, the big story there is, yes, it's a great gauntlet throwdown uh, from my standpoint to the Democrats that Bernie Sanders is doing, and he's calling them out. And they're having to decide publicly which side are you on, and my bottom line is the citizens are watching, Democrats, <laughs> and what you do will determine whether you can succeed in what ought to be a gimme in 2018. Uh, well, uh, ought it be? Here's why I ask. I'm wondering if this is a matter of careful what you wish for. Uh, you know, uh, they may be the dog who catches the bus, just like the Republicans uh, you know, on Affordable Care Act, they you know talked about how terrible it was, how it was killing us, uh, killing the economy, killing jobs, everything else. Then they win control of the White House, the Senate, the House, and when it comes time to repeal this thing that they've been calling for a repeal for for seven years, they can't repeal it uh, because they know it actually kind of works. So what happens here? You know, Jerry Brown, Governor Jerry Brown of California, he ran on single payer back in 1992. He's now the governor of California again, and uh, he is essentially blocking, uh, helping to block single payer out here in California. In Bernie Sanders' own Vermont, they passed a single payer bill, but the Democratic governor there is also blocking it. So uh, I know it's a big topic in the 30 seconds I will allot you, Gaius, but uh, is this something that Democrats need to be careful that they might actually be in a place to pass it? Oh, and then what? I don't think they'll be in a place to pass it, but if, if they did, there are ways to get there. I've seen number uh, a number of ways to get there. People have to stop talking about single-payer if you want to get support for it, because everybody loves Medicare. Uh, the situation in California, California is a large enough state to implement it, and, and, and Brown is, in my view, cynically blocking it. Uh, Vermont is too small a state. Um, I've spoken with a former uh, gubernatorial candidate in New mm -hmm. Hampshire, uh, Arnie Arneson, 
who mm-hmm. said that she had a plan for a, a block of states in New Hampshire, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, and perhaps Massachusetts, could be, go get together and have enough of an insurance pool that they could do a single-payer Medicare for All uh, situation there. I think the Pacific Northwest could do a, a, a Medicare for All uh situation there. So those aren't parallel situations. With Vermont, too small a pool. With California, you got your, your cynical money politics. I think those are different situations. And it's going to take the people, I guess, in this case, to to push the party in the proper direction. But boy, it seems like the people are, are getting that done. Now that you've got, you know, 16 uh, Democrats signed on to this, 17 if you include Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, coming out of an election where you had a candidate, Hillary Clinton, saying that uh, health, a single payer health care for all will never happen in this country. Uh, the party seems to be changing quickly. And, Gaius, we're going to have to, I, as they say, leave it there for the moment. Uh, more to talk about in the future on this. Uh, but uh, are you encouraged very quickly that at least the Democratic Party seems to be uh, if begrudgingly moving in the right direction at this point? Actually, I'm not. I, uh, the jury's out. I want to I see it uh, in, in, in actual deeds and not in words. Uh, the Democratic Party is, is on probation with me. They need to show deeds. <laughs> Good. Keep pushing them hard and pushing them like hell uh, at all the places that you do that. Gaius Publius, check out his work uh, via GaiusPublius.tumblr.com. Uh, his story on the Equifax breach called Violence and the State Equifax. Uh, and, of course, follow him on the Twitters at Gaius underscore Publius and at downwithtyranny.com. Guys, really appreciate you joining us here today. Sorry we're short on time, but we will pick it up again in the future, my friend. Thank you so much, Brad. Thank you. Okay, as we are short on time, quick break, and we are back with the Green News Report and Desi Doyen. That's worth staying tuned for, right? I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. We really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump must be able to continue the fight for all of us. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Oh, I wish we could stop the world. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, okay, Desi Doyen, uh, we get this uh, just, we'll get to your Green News report, this just breaking. The South Korean Joint Chiefs of Staff have said that North Korea has fired an unidentified projectile this morning toward the east from uh, from North Korea, from the wow. Sunan area of North Korea. So they're still at it. Hey, we gave a, a great idea yesterday from Jimmy Carter as far as 
what Donald Trump ought to do with North Korea to stop all of this. Just sign a peace treaty and promise that we won't attack them unless they attack us first. That would work. That's and too simple. Too easy, right? Because we still have this uh, this war. The Korean War is still ongoing from 1953. We have never signed a peace treaty. I say, let's do it. That'd make me feel better. All right. Always making me feel better. Uh, not really, is our Green News Report, and let's get to it. Here's our latest. The urgent need for relief aid across this region is growing. Residents struggling to get by. Desperate conditions in the Caribbean in the wake of Hurricane Irma. Eight dead in sweltering Florida nursing home as power in the state remains out for millions. New major gasoline spill and new lawsuits in the wake of Hurricane Harvey. Plus... The impacts of climate change are no longer subtle. Uh, We are seeing them play out in, in real time. Understanding the impact of a warming world on extreme weather events. All of those extremes and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Even though everything that scientists said was going to happen... The right-wingers are still, no, we can't blame climate change. Yes, I agree. My theory is it has something to do with Hillary's emails. I knew it. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, this monster Hurricane Irma apparently has a very long tail as there are a lot of people struggling in a lot of places to get by even though we are now days later. Yep, storm impacts last long after the floodwaters recede and the winds die down. As the dramatic images of Hurricane Irma are fading and the corporate news media is starting to move on, the victims are still grappling with the aftermath. In the U.S. Virgin Islands, relief aid has been slow to arrive and desperate conditions are creating a growing humanitarian concern. That's according to Virgin Islands Daily News reporter Suzanne Carlson in an interview with MSNBC. There's a lot of people on islands that were already struggling before the hurricane even hit. They're they're finding themselves having to suddenly walk in search of food, water, gas. It is extraordinarily dire for a lot of people here, and there are many people suffering tremendously. In the battered Florida Keys, where there is no electricity and little clean water, preliminary estimates from FEMA indicate one out of every four homes in the Keys was destroyed, and thousands will require long-term temporary housing assistance. And a very sad development out of Hollywood, Florida. Authorities confirmed that eight elderly residents of a nursing home who made it through the storm itself died after several days of stiflingly hot and extremely humid conditions in their facility due to the loss of air conditioning. Yeah, you say the media is already moving on. That's true. But uh, I think the extent of this devastation is just beginning to come to light. This is going to take a very long time and is going to be very painful for a lot of folks. In Houston, Hurricane Harvey's floodwaters triggered another major fuel spill. Nearly half a million gallons of gasoline spilled from storage tanks into waters along the Houston Ship Channel. It's just the newest of more than two dozen spills that the Associated Press has documented from fuel and chemical tanks caused by Harvey in the heavily industrialized area. Well, I'm glad that AP is documenting them because Trump's EPA certainly does not seem to be doing so. And testing conducted by the New York Times confirms that floodwaters in at least two Houston neighborhoods are contaminated with bacteria and toxins that can make people sick. Mm. 
In addition to rescue costs and recovery costs, the cost of lawsuits is also beginning to mount. A group of first responders who were exposed to toxic smoke from the Arkema Chemical Plant fire in Crosby, Texas, that was caused by Hurricane Harvey flooding, are now suing the company, saying it should have disclosed the types of hazardous chemicals stored on site that ended up sending them to the hospital suffering from toxic fumes. But of course, they had Texas's help in keeping that uh, information secret, keeping that information from the public. And yes, apparently even from Texas's own first responders. Amazing. Homeowners in Houston have filed suit against the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and the state after the Corps intentionally released floodwaters from reservoirs that flooded and destroyed their homes. Meanwhile, a new analysis by Public Citizen found that some corporate news media outlets ignored the climate change context of these two record-breaking back-to-back storms. TV news networks ABC and NBC did not mention climate change in many hours of hurricane coverage. Mentioned what? Climate change. Never heard of it. Some did so minimally or gave platforms to non-scientist climate change deniers. And in case all of that isn't enough, the wildfire season in 2017 is shaping up to be the worst ever. Climate scientist Dr. Michael E. Mann of Penn State said in a recent broadcast interview that the public's understanding of the growing impacts of climate change is crucial. The impacts of climate change are no longer subtle. Uh, We are seeing them play out in in real time. When people understand how much damage climate change um, is doing now, that's a real threat to the forces of denial and delay. The forces of inaction and delay don't want us to be able to use a teaching moment like this. As I said, what climate change? Never heard of it. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide, please, on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Science is real from the Big Bang. Yep. How many times do we have to say it? Does science is real every nice. day? Yeah. Apparently we do. Uh, okay. We have to get out here. Uh, just a very quick update. South Korea's defense ministry says the country's military conducted a live fire ballistic missile drill in response to the North's the the launch from the north of that missile I mentioned. Uh, South Korean president. Uh, has scheduled a National Security Council meeting to discuss the launch. That's an emergency. And uh, you have a report from Steve Herman of VOA News. Yes, he says that it appears that the missile from North Korea flew over Japan and landed in the sea 2,000 kilometers east of Japan. All right, well, at least it has fallen into the sea for now. And with that... Let's call it good news. Uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Gaius Publius from DownWithTyranny.com, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is, as ever, greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at Bradblog.com. My great thanks to those of you who uh, actively support what we do here by stopping by Bradblog.com slash donate. To help out however you can. Thank you for that. You can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. 
on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am simply the Brad Blog. Well, presumably we will be back with you tomorrow. Uh, depends on what <laughs> happens with that missile. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.